my uh, thoughts today are more about transforming our financial health. Because God knows we need uh, wisdom concerning finances as American citizens. Uh, we're living in very difficult times. Uh, one of the good friends that I have in the industry where I work uh, just finished telling me some inside information. One of the major management companies uh, that I, even I worked for for a short period of time before I was transferred to another company, uh, they have laid off 80 people in their management company and they transformed everything within to save more money. Uh, the owners, the landlords are really hurting because everything is so expensive and uh, so management companies have to do a lot more with a lot less. So that, that shocked me when I heard this particular company who deals on very high-end properties. So if they're feeling it, believe me, we're all feeling it. Because this, the ripple effects of the economy are affecting uh, more than what you know. The thing is that the government is very good at uh, juggling, see, juggling what they're dealing with right now to the point where they try to keep it from us, the reality of what's really happening. So we have to become very wise financial stewards in our own lives. Because the issue is not just to survive, the issue is to thrive, right? So I want to talk about financial health today and we're changing our lives by changing our thoughts. Romans chapter 12 verse two, it's the verse we've been dealing with every week. Don't conform to this world, but be renewed in your mind, be transformed. So we're, we're talking about seven dimensions. Uh, we already spoke about spiritual, being transformed in our spiritual life, our physical life, our mental life, our emotional life, and last week, our relational life. This altar was full of us praying, oh God, help us in our relationships last week. Very powerful message that was brought forth. Pastor Gwen, who preaches once every 10 years, she... <laughs> She shared the word, and, and you know, I, I was amazed that she still knows how to preach. She, she, she hasn't preached in so long. I'm, I'm constantly telling her, you got to get more involved, got to get more involved. She says, nah, you do it, you do it. She tells me, nah, you go ahead, you go ahead. Because one day there's going to be a revolution in the church. They're going to make you preach. <laughs> Praise God. So, if you read the New Testament you read the Old Testament, uh, you'll notice that, gee, you see what I mean? It's going to be a revolution one day. You, you'll see, especially in the New Testament, Jesus spoke more about money than heaven or hell. Amazing. If you do your own research, you'll find that out. Just Google it, and you will see. Half of all of Jesus' parables talk about material possessions, because it's important to us, and Jesus understood that. So he shared in a way that we could understand. He would highlight things in our realm of living that was important to us. And certainly he spoke a lot about material possessions, about money. And one out of every six verses in the first three Gospels talk about money. Amazing. See, it's very important. Money is very important in our society. Money has tremendous power and it influences our lives. Of course it does. If you're making $30,000 a year and suddenly you get a promotion and they give you $300,000 a year, isn't that going to impact you? Conversely, if you're making $150,000 a year and you lose your job and now you have to collect for a year or two, isn't that going to impact you? 
Money impacts. It's just the way it is. It's a fact. So there's a misunderstood story. We're going to go a moment to Luke chapter, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. We're going to read it. It, but it's very misunderstood. It almost seems, it almost infers like, like Jesus is saying something that he's not really saying. But he was using a parable to bring forth a very powerful truth, which I will share with you today. He, he uses a clever crook as an example. He uses a crook, a thief, as an example. It's a shocking, frustrating, and misunderstood story. So let's read it, and you'll see what I mean. I'm going to read it from the living uh, version, the li uh, New Living Version. So Luke 16, 1 through 13. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So what do managers do? You know what they do. They see waste, right? So the employer called him and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. So now the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have strength to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. You know, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person that owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, well, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take your bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. That's theft. But he did that. But he did that because he had an agenda, right? He says, and how much do you owe my employer? The guy, to, to the next man, he asked him, he said, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. And the reply was, well, here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Then it says this, if you're faithful in little things, <clears throat> you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you will be, or rather, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, finance, money, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Wow. So Jesus made a differentiation, a demarcation between worldly riches and true wealth. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one. Say with me, no one. No one. No one can serve two masters. For you will either hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Wow. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would minister mightily through your word. Dear Holy Spirit, teach us. Open up the eyes of our understanding so that we could become wise stewards in everything that you've given us, my God. Everything that you've entrusted to us. We'll give you the glory for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, an important note here. 
Number one, Jesus wasn't really praising the man's dishonesty. Okay, so let's make that clear today. He highlighted his shrewdness. The guy was wise. The guy knew that this thing was coming to an end, so he utilized his influence there to affect other people's happiness, other people's conditions, but he used it with the agenda of later on depending on those very people. So that was very shrewd. And the owner commended him for his shrewdness. He wasn't excusing the theft. He was just commending his shrewdness, the way he was able to use that. And so Jesus used the parable to explain how the children of darkness many times are able to use situations here on earth better than we many times. So now here's the issue. Even though we disagree with him, because I do disagree with it, that's not good business. And I never, ever uh, would condone this. And I would never teach any of us to do that. But we can learn and benefit from people that we disagree with without approving everything they do, right? That I can learn from people. The fact of the matter is we don't believe or, uh, or agree with anybody 100%. Not really. I know that. I've been married 38 years and I disagree with my wife on probably 80% of the things that we deal with. But yet, we come to an agreement on things and many times she has things that I do agree on and we go for it. Some of you, many times, in dealing with things, I would do it differently. I would preach it differently. I would teach it differently. I would, I would uh, manage it differently. But it's okay. I can learn from you. Say, say to your neighbor, I can learn from you. See, we, we can disagree about some stuff, but other stuff we can learn. Right now, even the election is based on who can actually do the best. Are, is anybody perfect among the candidates? No. But we have to find the best candidate, uh, you know, who we can agree with the most issues and, uh, and vote. So, and then the other thing, if I am going to, let, let, me, let me say this to you. If I'm going to go to the doctor, have, let's say, heart surgery or something like that, do, do I go to the general doctor? I will pick somebody that's good at that specific thing, right? And if I go to the doctor, first thing I'll ask them is, have you ever done this before? Right? So we need to really, really uh, know who we can trust about this, about that, about the other. The issue is trust at the end of the day. So two reasons why Jesus spoke this specific parable. Number one, he was talking to Pharisees. Pharisees were the people that were supposed to represent God in that day. Problem was that they were self-righteous, they were judgmental, they were hypocritical because they loved money. And Jesus knew it. They loved money. Luke 16, 14 and 15 says, the Pharisees dearly loved money. And so when they heard of what Jesus said, they actually made fun of him. But Jesus told them, listen, you're always making yourselves look good, but God sees what is in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. Right? So he's looking at them, he's talking to them, and he's sharing their heart value. And I said, I'm talking to you specifically because I want to highlight something that's in your heart. And I want to transition it. First and foremost, many people make a mistake about money. Money is not bad. Money, some people say money is the root of all evil. That's a mistake. The Bible never says that. What the Bible says is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because if you love money, you'll do anything to get it. Even commit crimes, murder, and uh, 
you know, step on people to get it. But one thing about money, it'll never satisfy you. You know, one billionaire said, you know, after they asked him the question, uh, how much is enough? You know what he said? Always a little more. <laughs> Always a little more. That's what's enough. So the truth of the matter is, it'll never satisfy you. And he said here, uh, what you guys think is important, for me, is not important. You know? We're a counterculture because our God is counterculture. Most people see, for example, what's important for people today? Well, possessions, pleasure, power, prestige, right? Popularity. People love to be popular. What about salary? Sex, money, lust, power. God says those things are not really the important things of life. You have worldly riches and you have true riches. So it's a sharp delineation. And God wants us to adjust our thinking because if we're stuck on these things, if we're pursuing these things, they will ultimately fail us. The other thing is that many believers today are poor money managers. Many of us are poor money managers. Luke 16, 8. For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than those who belong to the light. I'm sorry to say, many Christians are suffering today financially. But if you look at their trajectory, not all of them, but many of them, they've made consistently bad decisions financially, so now they're in a the hole. Others, uh, circumstances came upon them that they could not help. You know? like, uh, for example, a young lady that has a child, She's going to struggle, especially if she's a single mother, right? Uh, you know, if there's illness in the family and it's two salaries, suddenly it's one salary, you, you're going to come into a situation where you're going to struggle. So you have to adjust. Some of you are dealing with that. It have to be, you've had to become sharp, sharp, sharp. And every penny, every dime is marked and budgeted. Amen? And that's what we have to do. So what is shrewdness? According to this scriptural context, it was a keen awareness guy was smart. I mean, shrewd. He was strategic. He was resourceful. And that's what we have to become in this day. Say, say with me, smart. smart. Keen. Keen. Aware. aware. See, what, what I find is many Christians, many times, they're, they're in a semi-sleep semi state where life is passing them and they don't think. You know, every day do the same thing, watch the same novelita, you know, eat the same sandwich. They never think. But God wants us to think in this day. We, we, we need to hear God and to think and think out, out of the box because there's so much that's available. It's just that we're not thinking. It's just we're not seeing. We're not being keen right now. You gotta be sharp. So he was, he was praising this man's shrewdness. He saw the problem clearly. He knew what needed to be done. And then he figured out how to go about doing it. I was listening yesterday to a man who uh, the electricity went out in his home. And he was very frustrated. And, and his wife was pregnant. And uh, she was hungry and very cold. And he, he touched the belly. And her belly was very cold. And, and the baby was kicking a lot. And so he said, that mom, he said, I, I've got to figure something out here. I can't be in a situation where if the electricity goes out, when where he's at, it snows a lot. So he, this dude literally invented his own electricity, small electricity generator. So now, in case it goes down, and you know what he uses? He used leaves. 
and bananas. And he basically has a, a, a generator type cylinder where he puts leaves and, and he puts bananas and, and other types of food and waste and stuff like that, puts it in there, locks it up, ferments it. He creates great pressure and out of that cylinder uh, um, he has a pipe that goes to an alternator because it starts going around and around and it makes the alternator go and it creates one ton electricity. Enough to fuel a refrigerator, a microwave, even his boiler if he has to. You see, that came out of a frustration and then says, I gotta think. How do you create electricity? And this dude created his own little mini generator. So he has one for the kitchen, one for the living room, and it's all in a board, like just about a day big. So we could do a lot more. We just depend on content. We depend on this. We depend on that. Like my mother always says, they supposed to. That's her, that's her answer for everything. They supposed to. That's about, I, who is they? I'm still looking for they. So regarding money, God wants you to learn biblical shrewdness. From this story, we learn several things. We're going to learn four things not to do with money and five things to remember about money. All right? And if we practice them, they will transform our life. First thing we want to learn from the story is what not to do with money. And here's the first thing. Don't waste it. Never waste money. Please. It's a seed. You don't eat seed. You sow seed. Right? Luke 16, 2. The manager was accused of wasting his master's possession. The guy was wasting his master's possession. He was not using it properly. So what do we learn from God today? Don't waste the resources you have. We assume that these resources are going to be here tomorrow. We assume we're going to get paid next week. We assume we're going to have the same job next month. You don't really know that. My friends, 80 of them, of, of the people where I work got fired just the other day. I'm hearing throughout the United States, some companies are laying off 5,000, 1,800. We can't assume that. We have to look at what we have and maximize the resources we have today. Second thing is don't love money or live for it. The love of money is the root of all evil. Don't love money. Love God and use money. 16, um, Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Right? It's impossible to live with divided allegiance. We either love him or we love that. The heart of the problem, many times, is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of our heart. Who's ruling in our heart? It's a heart problem. Money problems, many times, are heart problems. God wants what? Does he want your money? No, he wants your heart. That's the key. Have you ever tried working for two bosses? It's not going to work. I'm sorry, it's not going to work. Jesus lays it out in black and white clearly. This is not vague here. This is very clear. So I must choose what I'm going to love most in this life. And today, this is a challenge in your transformation. Remember what are we doing here? We're being transformed in our minds, in our hearts, right? In our thinking. So I'm going to challenge you today to transform your way of thinking even in finance. Because 
TV is not going to help you. Right? Facebook is not going to help you. Because much of what I see Christians sharing today, not putting God first. And I, I, you know, I like looking at it because you know, I, I want to converse with my friends. I, I love it because it connects me with ministers. It connects me with family. Some family I haven't seen in 20 years. Now I'm seeing them. Amazing. So you know, for me, it has a great benefit. But as I'm scanning sometimes, I read some of the things that are on there. Oi. Other things are good. Other things are, are powerful. But some things, my God, we get so affected by our culture. So it's easy if we're not careful for money to become a God. Not the God, but a God. And we, we prioritize everything around money. Very, very dangerous. And the third thing is don't trust it for security. Because in uh, Proverbs 23, 5, it says, your money can be gone in a flash, as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Boy, is that true. This steward, this manager, he said, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job. He had a job. He was secure, he thought, and suddenly he was losing it. That happens to many. Understand something about money, never trust it, because today is here, tomorrow could be gone. That happened in Greece the other day. So, uh, you know, many millionaires, money, good money in the bank, uh, suddenly they were 10% poorer. Why? The government decided that they needed to pay their bills. And since they have been mishandling their finance, they created a law that gave them permission. See, I love it. You know, you're only a criminal if you're doing something against the law. What, what's, how, how can I rip somebody off legally? Well, let me just create a law. They created a law that gave them the right, literally, to pilfer 10% of their citizens' money in their own bank account. Hmm? It can happen anywhere. And by the way, now other governments are watching that, looking, seeing how uh, their citizenry reacts, because oh, that sounds good, because they're looking at any which way to try to extract more. Government doesn't make money, they take money and taxes and stuff like that. And, and then, of course, the, the, last, the latest omnibus bill was $1.1 trillion of money they borrowed. They created out of thin air. So, I mean, I don't want to get into that. I'm just sharing that we have to be very shrewd. I mean, I can talk to you about that for five hours, but that's not what I want to do today. So money can be gone in a flash, so don't trust it. Fourth thing, don't expect money to satisfy. I mean, I thought about that in my early days. Wow, when I make this much money, I'm going to be happy. I got it, I wasn't happy. Then when I want this, I got this much, I'll, then I'll be happy. I'll pay all my bills. No, I found more ways to spend it. But I'm so glad that none of you do that. Whenever you get a raise, you immediately invest it. You're smart, you're shrewd. Me, not so good. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You get more and it's gone. None, most people do not think extra money, good. Let me see what I can invest. Because we're taught as children to be consumers. Every commercial. I mean, it's amazing. Have you seen a movie? The movie is like 45 minutes. But yet it's five hours long. You know why? Because there's three hours and 15 minutes of commercials. And 99% of the commercials are wanting your money. So now I've changed the way I look at the TV. I mostly now record the program and then later on I watch it. 
because this way I can fast forward all the commercials because I hate them continuously trying to brainwash me. I, I can't stand that gecko because he comes off all big and bad, you know, and debonair and suave, you know, with that accent. If I see that thing, I'll kick it. <laughs> yeah, and they find such quirky ways to get your money. And since I'm awake now, I'm looking at these things, I go, oh my God, look at this. That was all along a ruse to try to get my money. So now, I, I'm, I tell you, I, I've changed the way I look. I don't even want to watch commercials now. Well, that's just me. So don't expect it to satisfy. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. Remember what the millionaire said? Always a little more. Luke 12.15, guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you you're not what you're, you know, and especially us guys, many times, uh, how you doing? How's everything? What do you do? Well, I'm a doctor. Well, I'm a lawyer. Well, I'm this. Well, I'm that. We're always jockeying to see who's more cool or who's more big and bad or who makes more money. Oh, he's more important because of this. Oh, he's more important because of this. Nah. Your life is not consistent of what you possess. So let's not conform. Let's not conform. Let me give you five counterculture truths about money. Remember, got to write these things down and do your devotionals because this thing is life changing if you are literally to watch everything you have like the bible says watch the state of your flocks and herds you will increase and then you'll be able to see okay this i got to say no to this i got to say no to i got to say no to this and this i need to say yes to you watch how suddenly you realize you do actually have more than enough you just have to reposition yourself and so you're going to have to assess the issue think right and ask God for wisdom concerning your specific situation. Especially if you have 15 grandchildren. 16? Ah, after, after 10, who cares? <laughs> My God. I would love to see your Christmas list. Ooh, she, got, she has to start in, in like March buying Christmas gifts. God bless. That's so, so precious to be able to see so many grandchildren and wow and I bet you they all love you they're all crazy about you praise God it's excellent so here's the thing we have to remember today and today we, this has to be settled in our spirit it all belongs to God you don't really own anything God owns it all see it wasn't yours before you were born and it won't be yours when you go you know we know that's true because the pharaohs of old were going to take all the gold with them the pharaohs of old were going to take all that stuff with them. And guess what? Hundreds of years later, or thousands of years later, we opened up their tombs and the money stayed. That's proof right there. Because if it could have gone with them, it would have gone. Because they would have made sure it would have gone. Right? But you know, I'm being facetious now. But the truth of the matter is, you know that you don't take it with you. So it's not really ours. We are stewards. God owns it all. So I want you to think a moment. What do you do? What's your job? Just think about it. God's the owner of that. God's the one that provides that for you. I want you to think about your own body right now. You're here seated. You're, you can move your arms. You can think. You can emote. That's God's body. The Bible says it's God's temple. He owns that. You don't own it. Your car outside. He gave you the privilege of using it. It's 
blessing you to be able to use it. Right? Your apartment, that belongs to God. Your tchotchkes, they all belong to God. You don't know what a tchotchke is? It's a little things, you know, that you have at home. Huh? The trinkets and stuff like that. Come on, get with it, man. Tchotchkes. <laughs> Which is a good one for Spanish? Ah, yeah. The chucherias. There you go. That's right. I'm sorry. I should have said chucherias. <laughs> Here, we, we, we not only get the word, we also get the words, extra words to use in our conversations. Just don't go around. Just don't walk around going around, chucheria, chucheria. You know, it's, people are not going to understand that. <laughs> that is very eclectic. And, you know, it's indigenous to it. It all be- belongs to God. Say the name, it all belongs to God. We get to use it for a while, but it's all on loan. See, God loans it to us while we're here on earth. Bottom line is we're all in management. No matter what you do, you're in management. You manage your life, you manage your affairs, you manage your children, you manage your job, you manage your businesses, you, you manage your gifts. It's all management. We are in management and we have high leadership. We have an owner above it all. And like this unjust steward, we are also stewards here on earth. Are we just or unjust? So let's start looking at everything that way. That will take the worry out. Because if something happens to my car, I say, God, it's your car. You've got to handle it. God, these are your children. Come on. These are your 16 grandchildren. Come on, God. <laughs> God, this is your body. Come on. Come on. This thing's got to last at least a good 80 to 100 years. Come on. See, it takes the worry away because now you know you're not the owner. If I'm the owner, I have to handle all this stuff. That's too much stress. God, this is your job. I'm just a steward here. Give me the wisdom. Fix this stuff up. See, I can talk like that to God because he's my heavenly father. He's my provider. he's, He's the author of all wisdom. He is wisdom. And he says, if I ask him for wisdom, not only did he say he'll give me wisdom, he said he'll give it generously to me. He loves giving wisdom when we honor wisdom. Praise God. So the story, this, this manager was not handling the property carefully. The question, how are we handling the property that God has given us? How are we managing our affairs? The rest of that verse 1, it says that the guy was wasting his master's possession. Anytime I waste money, anytime I waste this, anytime I waste my job, my children, whatever, I am wasting God's resources. That blew me away because even though I understand that, it it made me think more about it. My God, so what am I doing? Am Am I being efficient? I don't think I'm at the point of like maybe wasting stuff, but am I being efficient? Am I, am I giving a good ROI? You can ask me what ROI is, right? <laughs> you, you, I know you are. Your face, you are. <laughs> return on investment. If you hear that in business, it's return on investment. I'm not really that smart. I just read that one day. No, Actually, we have to give ROI in our a building. But... Are we giving a return on, the, on God's investment? When God invests his Holy Spirit in you, does he get his return? Remember, he's, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back, and I want my return. 
He wants a return on, our, on the investment on us. Right? If a company uh, sees a good singer, they'll give that singer, male or female, a lot of money, a lot of prestige. They'll advertise the name and everything, but they want the return on that investment. There's this one singer a couple of weeks ago, she was crying in court, right? Because uh, for a young singer, maybe you know. Keisha? Kesha? Right, uh, yeah, I don't know her, but you know, I'm, I'm into the 70s, I'm sorry. Say Michael Jackson, all that, I'm into that. You know, I just, I just, I'm just an oldie but goodie, so forgive me. But she was, she was crying because she was saying that, you know, she can't do well. I well, join the club. It's just the way it is. They want and they will get their ROI. Because they're not going to invest in you for free. Uh, mira, por, por nene lindo, in Spanish means, because you're just pretty. No, no. You're pretty and also my ROI, please. How many of you go to the store and you say, you know, nene lindo, give me the milk for free. Huh? The guy behind, nene lindo, three bucks, come on. <laughs> it's just the way it is. They want their return on their investment. And God wants his return. You, he's invested in you. But his return is different than what the world wants. And we'll get to that in a minute. So that's the first truth. He's the owner of everything. Second truth is God is using money to test me. Uh -oh. God does not trust spiritual power to just anyone. He tests our faithfulness first. And he tests us continuously. God's favorite tool many times to test you is finances. Okay? So what will happen is he'll give you a little and he sees how you handle that. And the Bible says, who can trust you with the real riches if you can't be trusted with material wealth? Something as mundane as material wealth, God is watching how you're spending that. See, because it's power. See, so the way you handle power, he'll give you more or won't. He says, I can't trust this person with power because they'll, they'll implode or they'll hurt others, right? Many times, God has to hide some preachers because they preach junk. They don't prepare themselves properly. And when they preach, they're preaching all sorts of nonsense. So he has to hide them. He can't expose them. Other preachers are humble and they study, they prepare, and God will open up the doors for them. And they're saying, wow, this is amazing. I never thought that this would happen. But it's God opening up the door because he tried them with little and they were faithful in the little. And so God was able to give them more. My God. So he tests you with money. Because if he can trust you with that, then he can trust you with the true wealth. Colossians 1.27. His riches in Christ. What are the true riches? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The anointing. His word in your mouth. The fruit of the Spirit. Those are true riches. What the world shuns is what God prizes. Hallelujah. True riches. So what does this test? Well, it shows what I love most. Give a person money and watch, watch a person's true character come forth. Watch it. It'll happen. The true character will come forth. A lot of these young, let's go back to singers and stuff like that. Give some kids money. What, what happens to them? Or, or you see how they become. They, they become very arrogant. You know, like you see the young Hiltons and you see some of these other that they were given a lot of money. What, what, what do you see? They, they think they're big and bad. They, they become arrogant. They think they're more, better than anybody else. Money will just expose what you really are. You give a man of God, a woman of God money, you know what they'll do? They'll look to see who they can help. They'll build the kingdom of God. 
They'll be kind with it. They won't show off. Some of the greatest millionaires, you'll never know them. Because they understand wealth. They understand the responsibility of it. So they privately invest. They won't even tell you they're investing. They'll open up a corporation, call it a specific name, and have the corporation give it out. That's right, right now. They're Christian millionaires giving money out. But they're giving it to missions, and you won't even ever know it. Because they, they follow the scriptural imperative. Don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing. They do it in private, and God rewards them publicly. Praise God. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, it says, Don't store up treasure here on earth. Instead, store your treasure in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Wherever your treasure is, your heart is. So we need to understand that. If, let's say, for example, um, Costco stock starts going down. Do you care? But if you invest in Costco stock, do you care? Why? Because you invested your treasure there, so now your heart is involved. Ah, you didn't get it. You'll get that Tuesday. Tuesday you'll go, oh! <laughs> God deserves and insists on first place in my life. Whenever I live for my money, it becomes my master. When I adopt a giving posture, in other words, money is not my boss, it's not my Lord. I use it to bless others. I use it to build the kingdom. Money becomes now my servant. So that's where it needs to be. That's the relationship. Me, master, you, money, servant. That's the way it has to be. It also shows what I trust. That's the acid test of our faith. Uh, Proverbs 11, 20, uh, 28. If you trust in your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like the green tree. Praise God. No power in my life, spiritual roller coasters. You know what you do? First check your checkbook. Where are we? You know, is our, is, is our treasure truly in the Lord? It shows also that God can trust me. If we control our finances, now we're developing disciplines that will allow, allow the grace of God, the goodness of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the anointings of God, you know, the word of God to flow through me. Our disciplines are very important to God because it reveals who's first. See, out of control finances reveal an out of control life many times. The next thing, and one of the most important uh, truths of the Bible, Luke 16 11. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest in much. So, what does it show? That if we are not trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will be able to give us the true riches? Now, who gives true riches? Is it you or me? No, it's Almighty God. So that's the acid test. Jesus says, how I handle my money determines how much God can bless my life. There's a direct connection between maturity and money. That's the reason why. It's a maturity factor. Maturity and money, spiritual power and possessions... Our level of spiritual power many times is determined by how we control and manage our possessions. Our blessings many times is connected to the way we handle our financial, uh, you know, ongoing process. 
person that's 60 amassed a million dollars in his bank account, in his IRAs, has some gold and silver on his side. Wow, how lucky. No. For the last 35 years, he and his wife have been investing $50, $100, $1,000, little by little, like the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, save little by little and you will have increase. You see, we, we call him lucky. Not lucky. 30 years of hard saving of discipline. The other thing is, money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Luke 69, I tell you, use your worldly wealth, Jesus said. And now I'm going to get into that point. I'm starting to land the plane. Money is not to be hoarded. Money is not to be stockpiled. Money is not to be worshipped. Money is not to be loved. Money is to be used. So we're using money, which is temporary, by the way. I know because the pharaohs couldn't take it with them. Money is temporary. It's not eternal. But I can use temporary money to create an eternal benefit. When I buy a Bible, for example, and I hand it to somebody, they read the word and they get saved. I bought a Bible for $25, $30, right? I used money for it. Money's temporary. But the benefit I got out of it was eternal. See? So what did Jesus like about the dishonest manager? Well, this manager planned a dishonest scheme by writing off one guy's debt by 50%, the other one by 20%, without the owner's approval. So why? Because they, he wanted them to think kindly of him when he was unemployed, right? So what he did was wrong. What he did was shrewd, however. So his plan was wrong, but he did three things right. First thing he did was he looked ahead. So I need to say to you today, we need to start looking ahead. How's everything? Same old, same old. We're not thinking ahead. We got to plan three months, six months, a year, two years, five years, ten years ahead. Well, Jesus is coming. Yeah, he might come in a thousand years. He might come next week. We don't know. What he did tell us was to occupy until he returns. He didn't tell us to sit there praying, oh God, oh Jesus, come tomorrow. No, he said occupy. To occupy means to take land. To occupy means to get invested in community and to preach and to teach and, and evangelize and disciple people. Praise God. So what are we doing now? In Proverbs 14.8, the wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and he won't face the facts. What facts are we maybe refusing to face today? Most of us don't even have an emergency fund. If you didn't get paid next week, you don't have any money. You don't have any provision. My wife and I, you know, we, we bought water last week, a five-gallon jug. In two weeks, we're going to buy another five-gallon jug. And we're going to keep it until we have maybe 10 to 15 of these five-gallon jugs. Just a half. Oh, after a while, that'll get old. I don't care. I have it. Makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah, we should save enough so in case there's a rainy day. My father's been talking about a rainy day for umpteenth years. Well, the problem is they do come from, you know, every once in a while. It'll be very nice that if I don't get paid next week, at least I have something. So, yeah, man, I'm not getting paid. Wow, ATM. Nice. Let's go to dinner, hon. I mean, isn't that nice? Isn't that cool that you have resources? Some, some excess, you need that. No emergency funds. The second thing he did was he made a plan. I know what I'll do. Do we have a plan? Very important. Shrewd. Do we have a budget for our lives? 
uh, Proverbs 16.9, we should make plans counting on God to direct us. See, God directs us, but we're the ones that make plans. He acted quickly. It's another thing. He acted quickly. Now's not the time to say, well, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe six months to a year. Uh, you know, I'm busy now. I can't really do it. Now. No, he acted right away. He had to. Are we acting right away on these plans? Are we doing things right away to make sure that our life is being managed correctly? Are we adjusting ourselves? Bottom line is we have to do it quickly. I can't tell you how many people are saying, top economists are saying we're in for some a uh, couple of years right now, maybe three, four, five years of difficult times ahead. And frankly, I don't know if a new president will make a difference. It's so deep, it's so endemic, it's international. We don't know. All we do know is that things are getting more difficult. But, uh, uh, companies like Costco's, like Walmart's, they're closing huge malls huge buildings, huge businesses. And in many of these rural countries, and, 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 or other states, and these area, other areas where they came in years ago, and all the little businesses aside, they, they closed down. Because Walmart took over, right? Now Walmart is closing, and the, now the town doesn't have a pharmacy, doesn't have a store. Things aren't as good as what they're portraying. So we need to take control. And, and be in charge of our finances and our resources. Someday I'm going to get my finances in order. No, no, today. Get your finances in order. Luke 16.4, I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. See, this is the very thing that Jesus commends. Take a long view for the best use of your money, for the best use of your resources. Now, the opposite of our culture, which says, spend it now. Right? Last time you saw a commercial, what do they want you to do? Spend it now. I look in the internet, every once in a while I get this thing, oh, you won't believe this, save a thousand percent, or increase your money. And when you go in there, what do they want? They want your money is what they want. And they're guaranteeing you all sorts of stuff. And when you invest in the program, yeah, I've done that. I've got suckered. Yeah, I, I, I have. I admit it. I've gotten suckered more than one time. All in hopes to, you know, better my family. And I, I realized at the end of the day, when I told my dad this years ago, my dad says, be careful, save little by little. I said, dad, you don't understand. I'm going to make a killing. You know, when you're young, you know you're going to make a killing. Problem is the killing never arrives. <laughs> now, when you get older, like I am now, I look back, I said, dad, you were right all along. The get-rich-quick schemes is just that. It's a scheme. It's a scam. Years ago, um, some foreign nationals told me they had $20 million for me. Still waiting. Yeah, we have to be careful because they want to—they want you to spend the money. They want to take your money. They want to leave you at zero. So this next truth is really counterculture. The best use is to use money to get people into heaven, get friends into heaven. Luke sixty-nine. I tell you, the worldly wealth to gain. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into their eternal dwelling. See, eternal. Saying, something, use something temporary so you can gain something eternal. It's not saying buy your way into heaven because you can't. It's not saying uh, that you could purchase eternal salvation. It's not saying that. Because grace and salvation are free. They're already purchased. What it means, use your money to build relationships that will last forever. Use your affluence 
for good influence. Use your affluence for good influence. Just like the manager used money uh, to make friends for the future, when I use money to help people meet Jesus, I'm making friends for eternity. I'm, making, I'm gaining rewards for eternity. Imagine this, when I get to heaven. Imagine when you get to heaven, right? Thousands of friends are there cheering you on. Thank you for that Bible. Thank you for making sure that church was open. Thank you that you maybe purchased groceries from one, one, you know, one day I needed it. And then we got into that conversation and, and I came to Jesus. Thank you for investing in me. Remember that song? Uh, there, there was a song uh, that uh, thank you for giving to the Lord. Remember that one a couple of years ago? It's an oldie. I'm, well, like I said, I'm oldie but goodie. I want heaven full of people that will cheer when you arrive. Is there anybody cheering in heaven for you right now? My God. How do you store up treasure in heaven? By investing in people going there. A gentleman uh, said, it's an eternal IRA. It can't go bad. The enemy can't touch that stuff. Praise God. One day, and here's the last point. One day I will give an account to God of my stewardship. One day I will have to tell the Lord, okay, Lord, this is what I did with what you placed in my hands. Luke 16, 2. You must give me an account for your stewardship and a report of what you've done with what I entrusted to you because your time as a manager is ending, he said to him. So God entrusted assets to him during his time there. And he was watching to see faithfulness, but he didn't see faithfulness. So he got fired. So for us, it's much more important because with him, it was just money. It was just oil. It was just wheat. But with us, it's eternal lives. With us, it's impacting people forever. It's in ministering to people that God loves. Romans 14, 12. Yes, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. If I'm faithful with little, God will trust me with more. We read that before. So the principle applies to every area of our lives. Faithful little, God will increase. What? He'll increase your influence. He'll increase your responsibility because you can handle more and you can minister to more and more people. He will it literally increase your finances. So manage it wisely and it will increase. Matthew 25, 29. For those who use well what they're given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. Faithfulness in little ways produces fruitfulness in big ways. Someone says, well, you know, when I get the big you know, promotion, then I'll give. Then I'll help others. Then I'll tithe. Then I'll do offerings. No, you won't. Because you're not doing it now. I remember when I was, uh, I wasn't laid off. I got sick on the job. I couldn't work there anymore. So I had to leave. So for three months, I didn't work. So the church paid me $50 a week for those three months throughout the summer. And uh, this was years ago. $50 went a lot further. Uh, back then. But you know what we would do? We would take $5 and give the tithe. Because in our heads, that's just a principle. That's what you do. And when I was ready to go back to work, um, I just opened up my mouth. I asked the Lord, and literally God created a job for me. I'm not going to share with you now, maybe another time, but literally God opened the door that was not available. But when I asked, it suddenly became available. Why? Because I was faithful in the little. He was able to give me more. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, self-evaluation. Does God really have first place in your life? Ask yourself that question now. Can God trust you with what he's allowed you to have? Can he trust you? Does the way that you're using money now show that show God that you could be trusted with more? Self-evaluation. What are you investing in right now that will create an eternal benefit? What are you giving now for an eternal benefit? Credit cards don't count because that's not eternal. That's, it could be eternal, eternal debt <laughs> all of your life. But what are you doing that's creating an eternal benefit? Who are you investing in? Who will be in heaven because of you? Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord God, for the privilege of the stewardship that you've given us. I pray, Holy Father, that as we've heard this word, that now you would make it personal for each and every one of us, Lord, because our journey is different. Our journey is unique. So I pray, Father, that you would give us the wisdom and the strength to be able to self-assess so we can see where we're at with our stewardship. Because we invest so much, many times, of stuff that really has no eternal import. But Father, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to become investors in the eternal. On purpose. Have a plan, Lord God, for our lives. Have a strategy. And to implement it right away, not to delay any longer. And as your heads are bowed, I, I just want to share this with you. I'm really sensing to share this. It's amazing that when you finally do make a decision, how quick the rewards start coming. The most difficult time a person has is to shift into that action mode. And we fear action many times. We fear making a decision because we're, then we're responsible for the actions. But today I share with you, don't be afraid to shift into action because God will help you because you're partnering with him because you're the steward he's the owner you can trust him so don't be fearful any longer move with faith and with joy understand that he is your senior partner and he's your provider at the end of the day it's not your job it's not people it's not influence the influence we have we're young, we're pretty, beautiful, we're handsome. That doesn't last. As here today, gone tomorrow. But God is always there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So never be afraid of partnering with God. And so today I challenge you. Turn into, activate that stewardship. Become that steward. Become that manager that God has ordained for you to be. Because there are people waiting to get into heaven. They're waiting for your generosity. Your generosity of spirit. Your generosity of testimony, of word, of sharing the word with them, of sharing your love with them, of investing in them. Even if it takes you taking 
money out of your pocket to buy a Bible or buy some tracks or, or buy them some food if they need food. Or give them a kindness. Because the more God can trust you where you're at right now, then he will open up more doors for you. If he can trust you with a little, he'll be able to trust you with much.